Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown. Across the table, Mr. Matthew Stockton. How are you today, Matthew? I am good. How are you? I am just ducky. Ducky. It's a beautiful day outside. It is. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people have been posting in the Umber Yard how it's spring. It's not. It's spring. It's not. The great spring fight. Yeah. I know Nova Scotia has gotten a lot of snow. I'm seeing my relatives and friends all digging out. <sighs> Disgusting. Yeah. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate, Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Our content is often intense and some listeners may find it disturbing. We are not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We are ordinary Canadian schmucks chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Mm, dark poutine is forever. Well, let's hope so. Well, I don't know about forever. Mm, a diamond is. You're like a diamond to me, Mike. Am I? Yeah. In the summer of 2003, Ardeth Wood, a 27-year-old PhD candidate studying philosophy at the University of Waterloo, was enjoying a well-needed break at her parents' home in the Orleans neighborhood of Ottawa, Ontario. In the early afternoon of August 6th, wanting to take advantage of a beautiful warm summer day, Ardeth bored her brother's bike to go for a ride. She never came home. Ardeth's disappearance triggered one of the largest searches in Ottawa's history up to that point, covering the almost 200 kilometers of bike paths around the capital city and its suburbs. Five days later, Ardeth's body was discovered. She'd been drowned on purpose and then hidden by her killer in a densely wooded area along the banks of Greens Creek. Police had no suspects. Fearing for their own safety, many of the residents of Ottawa were terrified to use the parks and bike paths for some time, even with increased police patrols. It would be more than two years before charges were laid against the man accused of Ardeth's murder. You are listening to Dark Poutine episode 210, The Murder of Ardeth Wood. Ardeth Mary Margaret Wood was born on October 28, 1975 in St. John, New Brunswick. She was the first child born to Catherine and Brendan Wood, who worked for Canada Post. Ardeth's younger brothers, Colum and Crispin, soon followed. The Wood family is devoutly Catholic, so it followed that the children were educated at Catholic schools. Ardeth grew into a devout Catholic in her own right and was active in the church. Early on in Ardeth's life, 
the family moved to Ottawa, eventually settling into their home on Shane Court in the pleasant middle-class suburb of Orleans. According to Ottawa Tourism's website, quote, this area of Orleans dates back to the 1830s. A group of Francophone families founded the parish of St. Joseph d'Orleans, and the tall steeple of the current church built in 1922 is a prominent neighborhood landmark on St. Joseph Boulevard. The village began growing substantially in the 1950s when the first major residential subdivisions were built. Orleans was amalgamated into the city of Ottawa in 2001. In recent decades, development of the Orleans Town Center, Centrum Plaza, which includes an art center and the Ruddy family YMCA-YWCA, has created a lively gathering place for neighborhood events." End quote. Ardeth and her brothers wore the golden blue of the Lester B. Pearson Catholic High School Panthers on Jasmine Crescent. Ardeth was a dedicated student. She was pretty and perky, but modest. People have consistently described Ardeth as compassionate and kind. She was creative and musical, too, becoming an accomplished pianist. It was probably Ardeth's innate sense of curiosity and a desire to dig into life's larger questions that led her to the study of philosophy at Carleton University after graduating high school in 1994. For her postgraduate work, Ardeth chose the University of Waterloo, where she would pursue a PhD with the hope of becoming a professor. She was seen as a promising student. In addition to her course load, Ardeth co-edited Eidos, the Canadian Graduate Journal of Philosophy, and was active in the organization of the Philosophy Graduate Student Conference and the Philosophy Graduate Student Association. Philosophy. Yeah. Do you know that's my um, retirement plan? Is to go back to school and become a philosopher? Just study philosophy. Oh, good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of do that a little bit. I do it now, but mm -hmm. I'd like to just dive into it because, you know, towards the end of my life, I'll be searching for lots of answers still probably. Yeah. It, it's really interesting that Ardeth was a searcher like that. It's great. Yeah. In an episode of the true crime docuseries Murder, She Solved, Jill Oliver, a university pal of Ardeth's, recalled her friend. Jill said that Ardeth was a fashion-conscious, beautiful, and confident young woman. She met Ardeth thanks to her shared position as teaching assistant in the university's philosophy department. Jill said at first she was intimidated by Ardeth, but soon discovered that she was warm, kind, and considerate, which put Jill at ease. They quickly became close friends, hanging out regularly. Jill said she and Ardeth talked at length about what the future held for them. Jill indicated that although academia was important to Ardeth, her main objective was to someday have a family. Ardeth's boyfriend, Kristen Polakowski, was also a grad student in philosophy at Waterloo. In the summer of 2003, Ardeth was at her parents' home in Orleans. August 6 was a typically hot and humid day in the capital region. There were thunderstorms in the forecast and Ardeth wanted to take advantage of the day and get some exercise before they hit. She promised to be back in 90 minutes as she planned to take her mom Catherine on a shopping trip that afternoon. She said she was going to take a bike ride along the Aviation Parkway. Ardeth, dressed in sweats and a red helmet, hopped onto her brother's black Peugeot bicycle and rode off. Ardeth didn't return when she said she would, which was unusual. But when 5 p.m. came and went, with no sign of the 27-year-old, her family began to worry and contacted police. The whole family went to look for Ardeth around the bike paths and trails in the area, 
and they spent most of the night outside looking for her. The next day, the organized search for Ardeth Wood began. Police took the lead, as volunteers including friends, neighbors, and Ardeth Wood's family began scouring the area looking for the missing woman, for they were not sure which of the many routes Ardeth had taken. All they knew was her first route took her along the Aviation Parkway, but after that they weren't sure where she'd gone. The parkway begins at the end of Sussex Drive and follows the Ottawa River through Rockcliffe Park and past the Canadian Aviation Museum. So the parking lot of the Aviation Museum was a natural staging area for the search. The searchers on foot and bicycle focused on the area around Greens Creek, the Aviation Parkway, and Rockcliffe Parkway. With no sign of Ardeth, by 5 p.m. that evening, she was officially listed as a missing person. From an Ottawa Citizen article, quote, a full-force police-organized search was now underway and a police command post set up in the parking lot outside the Aviation Museum. By Friday, Ottawa Police, RCMP, OPP, and NCC officers, as well as members of the Search and Rescue Global One, had joined in the search, which covered 36 square kilometers that centered on the Aviation Parkway. Ms. Wood's friends from the University of Waterloo, including her close friend Kristen Polakowski, made the six-hour drive to Ottawa to assist in the hunt. Loosely, the search was confined east along the Ottawa River to the Water Pollution Control Centre, south to Innes Road, and west to Blackburn Hamlet, Staff Sergeant Monique Acklin said. End quote. News media picked up on the disappearance of Ardeth right away with descriptions of her on missing posters plastered all over the city. Missing, Ardeth Wood, 5 foot 7 inches tall, 130 pounds, blonde hair, blue eyes, last seen by her family in Orleans on the afternoon of August 6, 2003. Back at Waterloo, it was through Ardeth's boyfriend, Kristen, that Jill Oliver learned of Ardeth's disappearance when he called her. Jill was sure that at some point she'd hear that Ardeth turned up, alive and well, but she did not. Over the next few days on the ground were grid searches with police, canine units, members of the Canadian Armed Forces, search and rescue professionals, and almost 1,000 volunteers brought in by two Ottawa City buses given to the search efforts. Canadian Forces helicopters equipped with thermal imaging equipment flew slowly over the area looking for heat signatures of a possibly injured artist. Police also provided a tip number, and the calls began to pour in. One Ottawa woman called the tip line telling operators of an encounter she'd had with a good-looking and fit shirtless young man in his 20s while out riding her bike on the same afternoon that Ardeth had vanished. The man also riding a bicycle had stopped the woman and the two chatted for a time. Although initially the woman had found him attractive, as the man spoke with her, it was clear that something was wrong and that he was a bit, quote, creepy. The man had suggested that the woman follow him into a little-used trail off the main bike path. But the woman's spidey sense was tingling, and she sped off on her bicycle, leaving the man behind her. When she'd heard of Artis' disappearance, she felt compelled to call and report the chance meeting. The woman later worked with a police artist for hours, creating a composite drawing resembling the man she'd seen. The man was Caucasian, around 5 foot 11 inches tall, 22 years old. He had black shorts on and was carrying his gray shirt while riding his bike. The lean, muscular, well-tanned man was wearing sunglasses, had thin lips, short-cropped, sandy-colored hair, and a short mustache and goatee. Artist's family said the man did not look familiar to them. Have you seen the picture of the sunglasses? Yeah, he looks like... They're super douchey. They're those shitty... You sunglasses know, they kind of go up and wrap around yeah every time i see those on somebody i'm just like 
I don't like you. That's a person who is going to use racist language. Or, it just feels yeah. that way to me. Yeah, right? And I, I know that's ridiculous because somebody just bought a pair that they liked, right? Yeah. But whenever I see them, I'm like, oh, there's just a type that wears them. Yeah, don't judge a book by its cover unless they're wearing those kind of glasses. <laughs> Police released the composite and the number of calls spiked upward to around 1,000 tips in two days. People claiming to have seen or knew someone who looked like the man in the drawing. Police checked out every lead they could. Another major tip came in when a 16-year-old we'll call Laura phoned the tip line. Laura had been cycling along the Rockcliffe Parkway at around midday August 6th. She recalled passing a pretty blonde-haired woman sitting on a rock just off the main bike trail. She now believed this was Ardeth Wood. Laura said she stopped and got off her bike and stared back at the area from which she heard the scream. Laura tried to catch the woman's gaze, but the woman seemed focused on the man she appeared to be arguing with. The pair seemed agitated and were gesturing at each other. Laura thought perhaps it was either an accident between two strangers or maybe a domestic incident between a couple. She rode a few meters further, but something nagged at her. Laura turned to look back, but the man and woman were gone. From Pete Dove's book, The Disappearance of Ardeth Wood, quote, She got off her bike and was sufficiently concerned to follow, listening out for more screams or raised voices. As she went into the woods, she saw the hat the woman had been wearing hanging from a tree and the bicycles laying on the ground in the middle of the rough route into the heavier shrubbery. It was that moment that Laura came closest to reporting her fears. She even went as far as to hit 911 on her cell phone but did not make the call. The thought that this was no more than a lover's tiff was too strong. The fickle Ottawa weather then played a role in the proceedings. It began to rain hard, and thunder soon followed. Laura decided to move on. Just as she did so, she thought she heard a yelp, although knew it could be her ears playing tricks in the suddenly inclement weather. End quote. Laura indicated to police that the man she saw there matched exactly the composite that the other woman had given. Oh, that would be hard. Yeah. To carry around. Right? Because you know how many times, Mike, I've been like walking or jogging with earphones on. Mm -hmm. I think I hear something and I look around. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, I'm, it's just dark and kind of spooky. I didn't hear anything. Yeah. Um, it's not her fault. No, Laura, like she did take the time to go down the path. She even almost called 911. Yeah, so it's hard. It's really, it's got to be a tough thing for her to live with knowing that probably only moments later. It happened. It happened, oh, I hope yeah. She, I hope she got some, little bit of help to deal with that because that, yeah. that would be hard to carry. Hopefully she did get some help, yeah. yeah. Another call came into the tip line from a phone booth in Gatineau just across the river from Ottawa. An unknown man was claiming that he'd killed Ardeth by accident then had taken her across the bridge and buried her in Gatineau. Before operators could get any more information, the man hung up. Police investigators raced to the phone booth, the caller had left no fingerprints, and no one had seen anyone on the phone at the time of the call. Was it a crank call or someone whose guilt had overwhelmed them to the point that they'd admit that they'd done something awful to Ardeth? Another female caller who'd also been biking in the area said that she'd been approached by a man she found creepy and odd. The man had mentioned a significant detail, that he was from Plantagenet, a Franco-Ontarian township in eastern Ontario. 
located approximately 70 kilometers from downtown Ottawa, at the confluence of the Ottawa River and the South Nation River. The woman indicated to police that the man she'd spoken to also matched the person in the composite. But who was this guy? Divers were brought in to look into the waters of Greens Creek around the area of the sightings of Ardeth and the person of interest. On the fourth day after Ardeth's disappearance, the divers found her brother's bicycle submerged in the creek some distance from the shore. From Ottawa Citizen, quote, On Sunday around 1 p.m., police received a break in their search. Police divers discovered Ms. Wood's black Peugeot bike submerged in about seven feet of water underneath the Greens Creek Bridge near a walking trail off the Rockcliffe Parkway. Everything was solidified yesterday after we found the bike. The investigators concentrated their efforts more in that area because this is where the sightings had allegedly happened, Staff Sergeant Ackland said, end quote. The bike had to have been tossed in the river to conceal it. There was no other reasonable explanation. Was Ardeth abducted and taken elsewhere, or worse? Police dogs specializing in the detection of human remains were brought into the site and began a grim search. Meanwhile, human searchers linked arms and walked along the shore of Greens Creek looking for clues. But it was the dogs that made the discovery. In an area around 25 meters into the woods from the shore of Greens Creek and 90 meters from the Ottawa River, behind a couple of trees, they found Ardeth Wood's naked body. From the Ottawa Citizen, quote, Ardeth Wood met with foul play, and we are treating this individual as a suspect in her disappearance, said Ottawa Police Chief Vince Bevan, referring to the composite sketch of a man they suspect is involved in Miss Wood's death. Chief Bevan said the news has come as a shock to a city where women have felt free to cycle, to jog, and live their lives without the fear of something like this happening. This was the ninth murder to have taken place in Ottawa that year. And we'll take a break right here. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And we are back. Matthew, uh, what are your thoughts so far? It's really heartbreaking, isn't it? For sure. You know, she seemed like a truly kind, intelligent person. She's obviously loved and and loved herself, right? Mm -hmm. She had a bright future. Yeah, like pretty much everybody we cover who yeah. has been who has been killed senselessly. Yeah, and it's just it's just such a waste. And kudos to the police and the community for organizing very quickly to get a search for her. Mm -hmm. It's different than other stories we've seen. Yeah. Um. And yeah, this seems so far to me. I don't. I actually don't know this case. I'm just listening as we go. Mm -hmm. Um, so far it seems like it was a totally random stranger. Right, right? it was. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I think random attacks like this really get under society's skin mm -hmm. because we all feel a lot less safe because it could happen to us or somebody we know. Well, I, I am somebody who was 
attacked by a random stranger. Yeah, and you just the because if you see somebody attacked by somebody they know, mm-hmm. you can kind of in your head go, "Well, I don't know those types of people." You don't I, know the dynamic. I protect. Between them. I protect myself. I don't surround myself with people like that. I'm not in that situation. But when it's a random, right? It's just completely out of the blue. Mm-hmm. And what we can talk at the end of the show about the random attacks that are going on in my neighborhood right now. Artist's boyfriend, Kristen, was, of course, devastated. The author of the Nourished Motherhood blog spoke with Kristen's mom, Helene Polakowski, years after Artist's murder. On hearing of Artist's disappearance, Kristen had called his mom, and praying for a good outcome, she arrived in Ottawa to comfort her son on the day that police discovered Artist's body. Helene remembered Artith in the post, quote, Artith was beautiful. She was intelligent and kind and so compassionate. She was gentle, shy, and quiet. She was loving, centered, and sweet. She was happy and pure, all loving and energy, soothing and embracing. She was a delight. She loved her family and friends. She could cook, bake, do crafts, and play the piano. She loved to run and ride her bike. She could warm your heart with her smile. She could inspire you with her wisdom. She found pleasure in the simple things in life. She was dedicated to her family, friends, faith, and studies. Around Ardeth, I felt calm and inspired. I miss feeling that. I miss having her around. I miss Kristen saying, Ardeth and I. Kristen became Ardeth and I, and the two were one in my eyes. When Ardeth was murdered, it was no longer Ardeth and I when I spoke to my son. Ardeth and I were killed too. Kristen has not spoken Ardeth's name since her killing, a name he once spoke often and lovingly and proudly. My son who once loved his studies quit. My son who once was open, happy, and talkative became closed, sad, sullen, and quiet. I barely knew how to deal with my own grief. How was I to help him? There were no words to comfort him. For over two years I prayed that her killer would be caught, and then we would heal and have closure. This word is foreign to me. There is simply trying to learn to live with an indescribable pain, a wound so deep you never know what will trigger the hemorrhaging and gut-wrenching sadness. Nothing would ever be the same. Nothing would ever feel the same. End quote. Cyclist Aldeth Holmes, who used the bike trails to commute to work, as do many Ottawans, and some, like Holmes, passed right by where Artist's body was found. Holmes said to ctvnews.ca, quote, The first time I cycled to work afterward, I felt quite frightened coming through this area. You realize being a single woman by yourself, it's really uncomfortable. End quote. Her autopsy found algae in Artis' lungs, indicating that she'd been drowned in Greens Creek, but there was no forensic evidence of sexual assault, although she was found naked when discovered. Her killer had left behind no DNA, no fingerprints, or any other trace evidence. Police were discouraged. On August 18, 2003, mourners numbering around 600 packed the pews at Ottawa's Notre Dame Cathedral for Ardithwood's funeral. Roughly another thousand people gathered outside. Among the attendees inside were Ottawa's mayor, Bob Chiarelli, and police chief, Vince Bevan. Ardith's maternal uncle, Reverend Father William Ashley, told the crowd inside, quote, it is the devil's envy that brought about the death of our Ardith, end quote. Ottawa Archbishop Marcel Gervais said, quote, Ardith's tragic death has spawned a darkness, and also, quote, forgiveness of a crime does not erase the pain and suffering, end quote. Outside the church, 
Penny Glover, a family friend and co-worker of Brendan Woods, told the Globe and Mail, quote, It's so shocking, you can't even put your mind around such an event. Everyone wants to be there for the family, end quote. Ardeth Wood was buried in the Catholic cemetery near the church. Ardeth's mom later wrote an open letter expressing the family's grief and gratitude. She wrote in part, quote, My husband, my sons, and I wish to thank our friends, all the different police forces, the Ottawa Citizen, the other media, the military, OC Transpo, and all the 800-plus volunteers, the vast majority of whom were totally unknown to us, who spent days walking through the difficult terrain in scorching heat without the thought of recompense, helping us search for our missing daughter. We are completely overwhelmed by the charity and selflessness of the people of Ottawa. We also must mention our brothers, who were indefatigable in the search. If you wish to know the definition of brother, it is not necessary to consult a dictionary. They are living examples. End quote. Jenny Edge, Ottawa police sergeant, told the true crime docuseries Murder She Solved about the frustrations of trying to solve a murder like that of Ardeth Wood. She said, quote, When you're talking about a young woman who's had no police involvement and has led a very normal, a very average, very well-behaved lifestyle, it complicates things right from the very beginning. End quote. Stranger-involved murders are notoriously difficult to solve, especially when there was a distinct lack of evidence, as there was in this case. Police had to rely on tips and old-fashioned gumshoe work, going door-to-door and talking to everyone they could, who claimed they had the smallest bit of information. By August 20, 2003, the tip line had received 2,000 tip calls and police were looking into 200 men who'd been named by callers. They were also looking into possible links to other attempted and successful sexual assaults in the Ottawa area. In the month prior to Artis' murder, there had been several sexual assaults around Ottawa attributed to a man matching the description of the one in the composite. On July 2, 2003, a man attacked a woman returning home from Canada Day celebrations in the Byward Market. He was interrupted by a security guard while unbuttoning her jeans and ran off with her purse. On July 5th, a man followed another woman after she got off a bus at the Walkley Bank Transit Way station at around 10.30 p.m. He grabbed her from behind and threw her to the ground, but she managed to scream for help. When someone came outside from a nearby apartment building, the assailant grabbed the woman's purse and ran away. There had been more than 10 unsolved sexual assaults over the past year and a half, beginning in April 2002, when between the 13th and 20th, Six different women reported having been attacked by a man whose approximate age ranged an entire decade, between 25 and 35. Many of the reports involve women being approached by a man on a bicycle prior to their assaults. It isn't clear whether the same person was involved in all of these encounters. On September 10, 2003, Waterloo University announced Ardeth Wood Memorial Graduate Scholarship. It was to be presented yearly to a graduate student preference will be given to female graduate students, in the Department of Philosophy based on merit involved in the graduate community and proven financial need. Quote, This scholarship created in Ardeth's name is meant to recognize the very person we had in our midst, says a statement from the Philosophy Department. Ardeth was an outstanding young woman whose positive thinking, keen mind, and strong work ethic eagerly embraced a non-traditional area of study. End quote. Frustrated, police decided to release a piece of holdback evidence that they'd hoped would help to weed out the cranks and false reports from the real killer. According to witnesses who saw the man from the composite, while shirtless, took note of a specific winged eagle tattoo on the suspect's upper arm. 
they released an artist's likeness of the tattoo a month into the investigation. Lots of people called. Eventually, there were 5,000 actionable tips and 1,800 persons of interest in the investigation into Ardeth Wood's murder. Police also spoke to media about their profile of the unknown suspect, saying he seemed to be particularly active on Wednesdays. From Ottawa Citizen, a police spokesman, Detective Whisker, said, quote, For a person in the age group that we're looking at, 20s, early 30s, that's kind of prime activity time, and if this person is a true sexual predator, whether there's any intention to kill again or not, the chances he doesn't start to get revved up again and want to do something else are quite low. What form that would take, I don't know, Whisker said. Maybe he'll start peeping. Maybe he'll go indoors, sex shops, or pornography, end quote. Before anything else happens, police hope somebody close to this guy finally comes forward. Quote, that person is probably living in a little time capsule of denial that if they stepped outside it for a minute, They'd realize that, says former Mountie Ron McKay. He continued, I've seen how once a case is solved, then all of a sudden they say, How stupid could I be to have believed this? He conned me. How could I ever believe that this could be true? End quote. Two more calls from Gatineau came in. Callers were reporting a man they thought might be responsible for Ardeth Wood's murder. In fact, the man had been seen directly across from the crime scene riding a bike and looked a bit like the composite. He was known to ride a bicycle in the area and was known to police. He had a tattoo, and he had gone to high school in Plantagenet. The man agreed to a polygraph test and passed easily to the disappointment of the investigators. Another man, early on in the investigation, named Christopher Myers, came to the attention of police. He too was an avid bike rider and matched the composite drawing closely. He had a history of criminal activity. Quote, in August 2000, he was charged with two counts of trafficking drugs, pleading guilty in 2001. He was charged with more trafficking offenses as well as possession of property obtained by crime in 2002. The charges were dropped after he pleaded guilty to breaching the condition of his probation. End quote. Myers was also a suspect in a recent sexual assault in the basement of his Ottawa home that had taken place before Ardeth's murder. He had apparently approached a woman near Walkley Road while riding a bike and enticed her into his house with the promise of a cigarette. He had allegedly then forced her into his basement and sexually assaulted her there. On August 6th, the day of Ardeth's murder, Myers' landlord had seen him leaving home in the late morning. He punched in at work at 3.30 p.m., leaving ample time to have committed Ardeth's murder and then rode his bike to work. When cops asked to look at Myers' shoulder, he yanked up his shirt sleeves. There were no tattoos on either arm. Myers agreed to take a polygraph but seemed nervous to investigators. He never showed up for his appointment. On April 23, 2005, a woman walking home near the Ottawa Bridge was approached by a man who then dragged her into the bush where he attempted to sexually assault her but failed. The assailant then stole the woman's purse and ran off. The woman looked strikingly like Ardeth Wood, although a few inches shorter. The incident was reported as a robbery, so it wasn't flagged initially. On May 11, 2005, in North Bay, Ontario, a woman walking home from a Tim Hortons at around 4 a.m. was approached by a man. The man asked her for directions and left, only to come back into her path minutes later. The man then grabbed the woman and dragged her into the bushes and attempted to sexually assault her there. 
A nearby homeowner heard the ruckus and scared the assailant, who then ran off, accidentally dropping a cell phone before he fled. The phone was traced to the home of an Ottawa woman, the mother of none other than Christopher Myers. On finding out that Myers was in North Bay for a sexual assault in that community, Ottawa police traveled there to talk to him. Myers said he'd already been interviewed about Ardeth Myers, but agreed to talk to the cops again. He said, quote, I've never hurt anyone in my life, end quote. Cops asked Myers again to take a polygraph test, telling him they just wanted to clear him once and for all. Being in custody, with no way to skip out this time, Myers agreed to the polygraph. Police had some time between this interview and the administration of the polygraph back in Ottawa, so they spoke to people who knew Chris Myers. Myers' ex told cops that he was physically abusive in their relationship and constantly lied. He'd also made unwanted sexual advances on the woman's friends. The woman, too, confirmed that Chris loved biking and the pathways around the capital city. He, too, had, in fact, gone to high school in Plantagenet, one of the most crucial pieces of information that the woman shared with police is that Myers, who had no real tattoos, loved to apply fake tattoos to make himself look more like a tough guy. She also intimated that she'd seen Chris with a temporary tattoo around the time of Artist's murder that was scarily similar to the one that cops had put out to the media. <laughs> fake tattoos and those sunglasses. Right? It, oh it, my God. It does kind of paint a picture of an it, individual. Who's... Yeah. Yucky. Yeah, just he, he, he comes across as really not likable. Maybe he's one of those guys who, in the 80s, remember the, the bicycles with the curved handlebars? Remember those, the Velo, yeah. mm -hmm. Peugeot ones? Mm -hmm. Maybe he's one of those guys who would turn the handlebars <laughs> up, you know, and then ride around with no shirt on, uh, smoking a cigarette. We're being so um, judgmental. Whatever. <laughs> Those guys in my hometown were one particular type of person. Yeah. Yeah. On the evening of May 15, 2005, Myers sat for a five-hour polygraph interview. He failed miserably, especially when asked directly if he were in any way involved in the death of Ardeth Wood. When confronted by the polygraph examiner, a female police officer who told Myers that there was no doubt in her mind that he had in fact killed Ardeth Wood, Myers denied it. A victim of one of the sexual assaults he'd been accused of was brought in and ID'd Myers from a photo lineup as her assailant. However, there was no physical evidence tying Myers to Ardeth's murder, and he knew it. Here's some quick audio of Myers' denials from that interview. No matter what anybody says, whatever a machine says, nothing. I did not kill nobody. Period. Cops had enough to hold him on the sexual assault in North Bay. They were investigating him for a few of the other assaults as well, including the Ottawa Bridge robbery and three attacks before Ardeth was slain. Myers was not willing to admit anything. It was time, though, to try and get a confession, so OPP special investigators were brought in to interview Chris Myers. OPP Sergeant Martin Graham was the officer in charge of the interview. The interview started just after 7 a.m. on October 13, 2005. The OPP prepared the room a la Mindhunter with maps of, the mi maps of the crime scene and specific sightings of Myers. Also on the wall was Myers' mugshot above the composite drawing that looked so much like him. Myers was brought into the room in handcuffs, and while an officer uncuffed him, Myers was turned toward the wall with the evidence on it, 
It is clear from Meyer's body language seen in the video of the interview that he was really absorbing what he saw there. Graham went in for the kill right away, telling Myers that he knew he was responsible for killing Ardeth Wood, that he'd been seen at and around the area of the crime scene and near where Ardeth's body had been found on the day of the murder. He'd also been seen there on days after and days before. For more than four hours, Myers denied knowing Ardeth at all and denied having killed her. At around 11.30 a.m., after being hit again and again with witness statements putting him at the scene, Myers finally admitted that he had in fact been with Ardeth that day. Chris Myers showed Graham how he had been talking with Ardeth, and when he attempted to hug her, she jumped back and screamed. He claimed that he left when he had then seen the other girl, 16-year-old Laura, who later called the tip line reporting that she had seen a man with Ardeth. Graham gave Myers a pencil and a piece of paper, asking Chris Myers to draw a map of the area in which all of this happened. Graham left the room. And while he was gone, Myers drew the map, effectively confessing to having been at the scene, but stopping just short of confessing to Ardeth's murder. At 12.48 p.m., Christopher Myers was arrested for the murder of Ardeth Wood, 806 days after she died. Police told a true crime docuseries Murder She Solved that they believed Chris Myers had intended on sexually assaulting Ardeth Wood after luring her down the path with him. Although Myers was successful in getting Ardeth's clothes off, he was unable to assault her as he'd intended because Ardeth had fought and fled, jumping into the creek and trying to swim away. They believe that Myers leapt in after Ardeth and drowned her in a fit of rage and then dragged her back to shore, hid her body, fled, and went to work his shift at the restaurant. Yeah, what a horrific scene. I mean, there's something in me that's going good on you. You fought, right? Yeah. But it just would have been so horrifying. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, in their victim impact statements, I don't get into it uh, later on, but in the victim impact statements that were later read in court, Ardeth's family got into the fact that they were happy that she was fighting to the end. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So it it sort of shows her character, too. Yeah. 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 It's, Again. It's, um, oh, God, this guy just doesn't deserve to even breathe the same air as Ardeth. Yeah. Myers was described as a quiet guy by co-workers and a former roommate, but his ex-girlfriend mentioned above painted a different story. To her, he was a liar, cruel, and unreasonable. At a press conference held only hours after they'd learned of the arrest and Ardeth's murder, her family spoke. They thanked police and volunteers who'd helped them look for Ardeth when she was still missing. Ardeth's dad, Brendan, spoke about movement in the case. He said, quote, it is good to know that although the wheels of justice grind slowly, they do in fact grind. He added that he was pleased with the arrest because, quote, people tend to do this until they get caught, end quote. Myers pleaded not guilty, and the legal wrangling began with his lawyers calling out the Crown. There had been so much press coverage in the capital city area that the defense attorneys did not believe that Chris Myers would receive a fair trial at any venue nearby. All that was a pointless exercise. Because in January of 2008, Chris Myers agreed to plead guilty to the second-degree murder of Ardeth Wood. His lawyers painted a bleak picture of Myers' life up to that point, saying he was a simple, troubled guy, born on September 7, 1980. From the Ottawa Citizen, quote, The child of an alcoholic mother, 
He suffers from an alphabet soup of neurological conditions, according to his lawyer, Robert Carew. FAS, fetal alcohol syndrome, though his is relatively mild, ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, PDD, pervasive development disorder, a spectrum of social and communication disorders that includes autism, and schizoid personality traits. His early life was a nightmare of parental alcoholism and abuse. He appeared to catch a break when he was adopted by a loving Ottawa family at age four, but the damage, it appears, was already irreversible. Counselors who worked with Mr. Myers as a child have provided harrowing accounts with one calling him the most disturbed child he has ever seen. Unable to handle their increasingly unmanageable adopted son, the Myers family turned him over to the Children's Aid Society when he was 12, end quote. Myers bounced around the foster care system after that. At Myers' sentencing, Artis' parents and family read victim impact statements. Artis' mother said in part, quote, The most joyful day of my life was when her father and I brought Artis home to our new house a few days after she was born. Nor have we known so much sorrow as the day we deposited her in the grave. These have been arduous years as her case moved through the courts. Thank God that those days have been forestalled. Now I await with longing the day on which our souls will meet again, our bodies being reunited to our souls. I will enfold her in my arms, as I did so many times at the train station, never more to be separated. A beautiful, unique, unrepeatable life has passed from our midst, but its influence for the better remains upon those who knew and loved her. End quote. Artist's father said, the worst times are when you are alone and grief comes unbidden black with a strength that you feel physically. You must deal with the monster yourself. There was no one around to help. It is most fortunate that as time passes, these times become rare. Not only must one cope with the direct effects upon oneself, I have also had and have to watch the grief being experienced by my wife. For a long time, I awoke each morning wondering how bad it would be, or maybe today it would be better. Maybe the grief would not be so visible. The long-term effects are mostly around festive occasions. Festive occasions are always tinged with concern. How will my wife hold up? Will it in fact be a festive occasion? End quote. Chris Myers was asked if he had anything to say before hearing his sentence. Myers just shook his head no. The judge sentenced Chris Myers to life without the possibility of parole for 10 years. So you're mentioning lots of other... Was he charged with anything yes, else? Yes, he was charged and convicted of those. Th those were part of the uh, plea agreement. Okay. Yeah. According to a CD... According to a ctvnews.ca article, Artith Wood... Artith Wood's death prompted many cyclists to join Ottawa's Pathway Patrol. We are eyes on the path and we have cell phones. We know who to call. We're just... We're just on... We're just on the lookout for things, says Aldith Holmes, who joined the patrol to overcome her own fears and help others. All of the volunteers need to go through police record checks and first aid and CPR training. It gives Pathway users peace of mind, says volunteer coordinator Christina Saunders. At Fletcher's Wildlife Garden and the Arboretum, a majestic Bebs Oak planted in 1898 was dedicated to Ardith Wood's memory and became known as Ardith's Tree. A plaque was installed with an inscription to Ardith in both English and French. It read, her, her death touched the heart of a city. 
In 2017, after a major storm, the tree split. But a local expert said he believes, regardless of the injury, the tree will live on for years to come. From the Ottawa Citizen, quote, I know this tree will survive, said Mississauga-based Philip Van Wessen... Wessenayer, who... Philip Van Wessenayer, who lectures around the world on conserving old and ancient trees. This, the damage, is not fantastic for the tree, but it is just a stage of life for this tree. All this stands out in stark contrast to the attention received in the case we did last week. Mm -hmm. So this is the case that I was researching okay. when I came upon the case of Darlene Bossy mm -hmm. and the stark contrast in coverage yeah. of, the, of these two cases. I, 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 I struggle with this myself. Mm -hmm. uh, we're currently watching a war with people who look like you and I. Mm -hmm. The media is covering it in a big way. Mm -hmm. And so people are calling the media out for similar reasons, saying, why isn't there as much coverage when it comes to places where there are people of color? Mm -hmm. You know, like Palestine, Syria, all those kind of things. Why aren't we as offended mm -hmm. as a people? It's, it's like because we see people who look like us, you know, uh, I, I, we need to make an effort, more of an effort. Saying we don't see color is not the right way to do it. That was an attempt in the 80s of people to say, well, we're not racist because we don't see color. But color is a thing, mm -hmm. and there are <laughs> ways that the media people personally react to things because of color and race. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I, I don't know if it's human nature. I think it is. I, I think, did you know that there's a, there was actually a study done where unless you've grown up in a multicultural community, mm -hmm. Um, you actually have a hard time differentiating between people who mm -hmm. are of a different race. Right. It's just how your brain works. Yep. And, but the study showed if you grew up actually in a multicultural community, you can because you're used to it. Right. And I think, okay, the war thing. It's why people who are Sikhs in the United States and sometimes Canada are harassed for being Muslim. Oh, well, that's just stupidity. Well, the, I think though it is the same thing. It is stupidity. It's also just plain ignorance. Yeah. The fact that, okay, these people have grown up in this, and I'm not making an excuse for people, but people have grown up in this area in where they don't see people Anybody. of color at all. I didn't. Growing up, there was, I remember one, two uh, South Asian families, mm -hmm. maybe three, but there were maybe, there was maybe one Asian family of Chinese descent mm -hmm. and nobody Japanese, nobody of color. There was one black person in town and he worked at the radio station. Mm -hmm. It was a very, very white community. And I didn't, I couldn't differentiate Korean from Chinese mm -hmm. when growing up. I can now mm -hmm. because of where I live. It's exactly what you're saying. Yeah. yeah. And I think with the war thing, I think... Well, there's a few things, right? Like a war in Africa isn't going to cause World War III. Mm -hmm. So, of course, there's more focus. Right. Um, historically, we came from Europe. Yeah. Um, 
the majority of the people. So there's a lot of people, yeah. So you have connections, so you know Ukrainian families, etc. So mm -hmm. uh, it's just hard. I mean, we see a lot of indigenous people just. Um, well, that's that's the point of this versus yeah. last week's story, and I'm so careful because. You know, I don't want to say, oh, just because somebody was blonde and white, you know, like I, you know, I feel for her and her family as much as I do for a First Nation. Sure. Family. That's yeah. not my, the point here. Mm -hmm. But the point is that, um, especially with like policing, right, who are have to, you know, as a community, yeah, we should try and it's up to you, but policing has to be able to get past that. They do have right? to be because able to. Because they are yeah. public service. Yeah. And... We um, got an email from somebody uh, last week, and I'm not going to say who it was, because the email, frankly, makes the person look not intelligent. Mm -hmm. But that person said that we were bashing police. I didn't bash police at all. No. If you we go back and listen to what I said, and frankly... Hey, I have family who are police members. Me too. <laughs> my, my point is when it's bad policing, it's bad policing. Yeah. And bad policing should be bashed. Yeah. Not good policing, but mm. it should be bashed. They're there to serve us yeah. and to blindly go, whatever. No, that's idiotic and you run into problems. Yeah. So, you know, I will always support good cops and I will always bash bad cops or bad processes or just stuff that isn't, um, you know, where, where things are systematically going wrong. It's up to us to bash. It's up to us to actually get angry and to talk about it. Yeah. Right? Of this blind, ooh, you say one thing bad about the police and you're bashing police. Come on, give me a break. No, we're not saying anything bad about the police in general. No. We're saying not at all. What, how that specific case was situations, handled. right? That's right. The that... specific situations. And in this specific situations, police did a great job. So did the community. And look at this. They even brought the army out, right? But my point is will the police community and army all get together for somebody who's not in the capital city who's mm. white um probably not right yeah yep and it's sad yeah and it's a fact right <laughs> like, there's no debating this it's a fact we've done so many stories now and you see the pattern so what about the randomness of this attack. You said that you, uh, you wanted to talk so about. There's been an uptick in random assaults in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was just reading it this morning and, um, specifically like there's a few neighborhoods where it's concentrated. One is obviously the east side where there's some problems, but also in my hood, yep. um, people just randomly punching somebody or stabbing somebody just walking by no, no reason. Yeah, so for people who don't know, though, Yale Town is kind of close to the downtown east side. It's well within walking distance. It's very close. So like 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. If that. Yeah. So people do tend to sort of bleed over from yeah. that area. So, But at the same time, who's committing these random assaults? Is it people who are stressed out? Is it people who are... um. I don't know. It's it's very strange to see that it's happening. I've never lived in a city where there are more people walking around screaming at the top of their lungs. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which I'm what I mean by that. It's they have um, mental health issues. Right. I've never lived in a city where there's so many people with mental health issues on the street. Yeah, I I noticed that around here in Surrey, and yeah. I also noticed that 
uh, when I'm downtown, especially so, along Granville Street. Yeah, I've heard there's, there's that, there's drugs, mm -hmm. and there's just, I think some of it is, I think sometimes it's racism or somebody's angry at a type of person as well. Right, because we've seen a lot of attacks on uh, Asian people mm -hmm. since COVID-19 because... Yeah, did you see the guy get stabbed in Tim Hortons, Mexican guy? Yeah, he was just a... A guy, he's walked in, the other guy was sitting there, they didn't know each other, and the guy just walked up to him and stabbed him. For no reason. For no reason. Yeah, because he looked different. Literally, he had just walked in, and the guy was just like, oh, look, he looks different, stab. Yeah. So, yeah, the, this random stuff is is strange, and they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, is the uptick because people are wearing face masks? Mm -hmm. Is it because of social distancing mm -hmm. that somehow this weird psychological thing's coming around? Yeah, the stress of the pandemic has made the world do some weird things. Yeah. Like it really has. Like yeah. we're, you know, back to the what we're seeing uh, in Ukraine right now. Um, I don't. I don't think without the pandemic, I don't think it gets this far. Oddly, um, we're seeing Putin distancing himself by like 10 meters from people mm. uh, at crazy, crazily large tables. Mm. And he's told uh, his advisors that no one comes close to him unless they have had three PCR tests that are negative. <laughs> so what's that about? Yeah. Is he immunocompromised somehow or is it? Like, it's really bonkers. Who knows? And that's it for Dark Poutine episode 210, The Murder of Ardeth Wood. And now it is time for voicemail. That's right. It's time for voicemails. You can leave us a message at one 327 5786 or one 877 darkptn We'd love to hear from you. Let's see who called us this week. And here's our first one. Hi, Mike and Matthew. Uh, I just wanted to say I love your podcast. Um, I've been a Patreon subscriber for, well, I guess it's been just over two months now. And I've re-listened and y'all forgot to shout me out. I was just, I don't even care about the shout out other than the fact that I wanted to know what <laughs> what y'all thought my uh, uh, job would be. Anyway, go take a shit in your head. <laughs> Thanks for being you guys. Have a good one. Bye. Oh my gosh, I feel terrible. Um, she didn't say her name. She didn't say her name. So let's give her a call. Okay. And see what she has to say. Why not? Hello? Hi there, it's Mike Brown from the Dark Poutine Podcast calling you. Hi! <laughs> and Matthew's here with me too. Hello. <laughs> so we wanted to give you a call because we got your voicemail and we wanted to apologize for not giving you a shout out. That's number one. No, that's totally fine. And then number two, we wanted to sort of make fun of you because you didn't give us your name and we can't shout you out. <laughs> afterwards and then i totally forgot uh so actually my name is allison hazard okay hi allison and 
Hi, I am from Lashburn, Saskatchewan. Okay, so Allison from Lashburn, Saskatchewan. Matthew, what you betcha. What does Allison do there in Ashburn, Saskatchewan? Oh, I thought she said Lashburn. Or Lashburn, yeah. Is okay. it Lashburn? Yeah, with Al. Okay. Yeah, with Al. I think you're a cosmetic artist because you guys like burn lashes over there. (laughs) (laughs) That makes sense. That makes total sense. Well, there you go. So, so we just thought we'd give you a call and apologize to you. And you'll probably hear this on this week's show. This is so awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. (laughs) You have yourself a nice day. Bye, Allison. Bye. I don't think she expected that, Matthew. <laughs> I don't think she did either. <laughs> she picked up her phone, which is amazing. Well, it when when I get a phone call, I don't I don't answer. Yeah, it's like uh yeah, I guess I was calling from the one eight hundred number. Okay. I can call from the local number, and then it will do a call display thing. But okay, but uh, yeah, maybe then I'll just call long distance next time when we call somebody. But I thought that would be a fun way to deal with not having given someone their Patreon shout out. Yeah. So, I think we should do more of that. Here's our next voicemail. Hello, Mike and Matt. This is Kayla calling from New Jersey. I just listened into episode 209. Wonderful episode, as always. I've been listening on and off since the beginning, but I really tuned in after episode 78, which is Joseph Galfrey episode, or Kai the Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker, where my hometown of Rawway was lovingly mentioned. Of course. I love listening in after the episode is over to hear you and Matt chit-chat back and forth, and I was inspired to patronage after God knows how many years of listening. I'm also a huge fan of the Ember Yard. There's a lot of great content on there from really good people. I love what you guys do. Oh, my gosh. And her phone cut out. Kyla's phone cut out. But you know what? Thank you so much. Thanks, Kyla. That was really, really kind. It was. And somebody else called and said that... Uh, they don't like that I say I'm Mike Brown creator and host and that I just call you my friend. Like, go fuck yourself. <laughs> like I need In a, a t- big way, go like, fuck yourself. Like I need a title. Right. I've been saying that since pretty much since the beginning. It's just what I say. Can I be queen of the podcast? Matthew, you can be anything you want. <laughs> Give Actually, yourself I, I a think, title. I think... This is my good friend is a pretty good title. I think that is the best title that I can give you. <laughs> anyway, thank you, Kayla. Anyway, thank you, Kyla, for your patronage as well. Thank I re- you, Kyla. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah, yeah. It's very cool. She's from New Jersey. New Jersey. I, I always say, hey, do you know Tony Soprano? Hey, is he from have New you Jersey? been to the Bada Bing? Yes, of course. Uh, let's listen again. Hello, Mike and Matthew. This is Jenna. I am calling from Penticton, B.C., and I have been binging your podcast on Spotify. So thank you for all of that. I love listening to both of you. Mike, I am currently reading your book. Uh, So thankful that you have come out with this. I wanted to give a compliment to you guys for really giving a voice to the victims of your stories. My only suggestion would be to possibly be able to find people, women who have lost their lives to domestic violence because those are the people that really need a voice. Uh, so often their their voices are not heard because they're lost in the word domestic violence. And I think those people 
really need a voice. So thank you guys for everything that you do, and please go shit in your hat. Bye. We do cover stories of people who have died by domestic violence. I can think of a number of them. So we do. Oh. And we'll continue to. Absolutely. Yeah. And we do think that women who have suffered domestic violence deserve to have a voice. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Let's listen to another voicemail. Hi, Mike. Hi, Matt. This is Kim. I live in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan. I'm originally from Wichita, Kansas. I was down there during most of the BTK. I was in class with uh, Charlie Otero at Southeast High School when this happened, and he was abruptly moved to Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, I only lived a few blocks away from when Nancy Fox was murdered, and another lady's home was broken into, and thank goodness she never went home, or she would have been uh, killed that evening by BTK. But he sent her poems and such, and so she moved from Wichita, and I've had other friends through the years in some way, somehow connected with BTK. We moved to Wichita, uh, from Wichita to Canada 28 years ago. Canada is now my home, and I really love it and how they've kept my family and I safe. And I just love your show, Dark Poutine. Mike, I have your book. I've read it. It's very good. I'd love to see a second book. And on this one, concentrate maybe on more of one or two subjects instead of every chapter being different topics. And Matt, I really love you on there. You're excellent as a co-host. I just have one request, please. I wear hearing aids and for a long time, and the volume between you and Mike are quite different. Uh, Mike is more loud and you're more soft. I wondered if you could maybe speak up just a tad. Would be very appreciated. Okay, so uh, love your show and continue on to great things. You take care now. Bye. And this is why I want you to speak directly into the microphone, Matt. I try. I'm sorry. And, is this the first time ever in my life that I've been called quieter than you? Well, you you do. I. But this, it's, it's a it's a yeah it's a voice thing. I don't know. I'm just you're more used to it. I'll I'll do it more often. You try to. I think what you're trying to do is approach i don't try to do anything i just talk well you're talking more softly sometimes really softly and and we've had a few people wichita have you ever been to wichita no i have never been i've never been to kansas i've never been like i've been to a few of the states to the very north northern because when i drove through i drove through the northern states but i've never been in the middle ones i'm fascinating fascinated about how she got from Wichita to, to to Saskatchewan. Yeah, right? It's kind of cool. Yeah. I bet you there's a cool story there. There probably Thank is. Thank you for calling in. Thank and you. And for reminding me to speak up. That's it for this week's voicemails. Again, you can leave us one at one 327 5786 or one 877 We'd love to hear from you, even if it is just to say hi and to tell us to go shit in our hats. If you're stumped for what to chat with us about, a quick story is welcome. Now on to Patreon, and holy crap, did a lot of people step up this week. So we'll kind of break it into two, I think. Um, Thank you, guys. Yeah, some for next week as well. We need a little bit of a boost there. Uh, Yeah, things are... Get, they get pretty thin some days. <laughs> things are a little a little bit tight, we let's really just say. We really appreciate it. Um, so first up, from... 
London and not the one where you're from, Matthew. I'm from, well, I'm from both. You are from both. <laughs> but originally, you are from the Canadian Yes. One. This one is London, UK, and this is Pat Charlebois. Okay. Yeah, so Pat Charlebois, thank you so much for your patronage from all the way across the pond, as they say. I think that's our first proper Londoner. No, we've had proper Londoners before. Have we? Okay. Yep, yep. Uh, however... We only have one Pat Charlebois. Absolutely. And what does Pat do over there in the capital of England? Pat mm -hmm. manages a nightclub. Oh, which nightclub specifically? G-A-Y. <laughs> the gay nightclub? It's called G-A-Y. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So you you just say, I'm going to G-A-Y? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's a big club. Kylie oh. plays there sometimes. Oh, cool. So it's, and it's like one of the big nightclubs that everyone likes to go to. So, and so Pat does a fantastic job. Hmm. Yeah. Well, there you go. Well, thank you so much, Pat Charlebois. Thank you, Pat. Much appreciated. Next from Sudbury, Ontario, is Andrea Wolski. Hello, Andrea Wolski. Andrea Wolski from Sudbury. Or I've heard people call it Su Sudbaria. Sudbaria? Yeah. Like. I've been to Sudbury years ago, I think. Yeah. I drove through there. Yeah. yeah. It's a nice place. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I didn't mind it. Sudbury. I stopped there for some Tim Hortons. Well, I think just Torontonians call anything not Toronto. Sud like. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what does Andrea do there in Sudbury? She also manages a nightclub. Oh, what's the nightclub that she manages? Um, S-T-R-A-G-H-T. That's what I was going to say. Straight. <laughs> Straight. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> well, that's a pretty boring nightclub, I think. There's no color, and everybody dances with their hands below their shoulders. Gay bars are so much fun. What? Why? I, they are. I like celebrities. I used to go there's to just, celebrities. There's less sort of... Uh, like, I know a lot of straight friends who used to go to gay clubs with me mm -hmm. because it was just more relaxed. Totally. It's not all this posturing. It's, it's Well, there was some. Yeah, but it's peacock posturing. Right, that's true. Right? Yeah. Like, the worst thing that's going to happen is somebody's going to hold somebody else down and do their hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much, Andrea. <laughs> Thanks, Andrea. Oh, boy. Next, we have from Edmonton, Alberta, Shelly Shelley Jones. Hello, Shelly Jones. What is uh, Shelly doing there in Edmonton? In Edmonton? Yes. She works at that amazing restaurant that I cannot remember the name of. Well, that's not any good. I know. But so, my aunt and uncle took me to a restaurant that I really liked. So there's an amazing restaurant yeah, in they, Edmonton. You the, need to figure out where it is. They offered me they offered me seafood at this restaurant. Yeah. And I was like, are you kidding? I'm in Alberta. I'm going to eat beef. I'm in Alberta. I'm from BC. I'm not touching the fish. Like, give me some cow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, how do you like your cow? Do you, do you like it? Uh, Always. All... <laughs> So you don't like, I mean, how do you like it cooked? Rare, medium? Depends. Yeah. I just slap sometimes, it on the... Sometimes I'm in the mood for rare. Sometimes I'm in the mood for... De yeah. Depends on the type of cow. Yeah. I, I say just slap it on the bum and send it out. Oh, really? You yeah. like it like blue? Not not real blue, but okay. almost blue. Yeah. Wow. 
Well, thank you so much, Shelly. I just got that. For working on that uh, at that restaurant that Matthew doesn't know what it's named because, you know, that's that's not very good. Well, it can only be one of a few. Uh, Next, we have Shannon Holixa, and she is from Calgary, Alberta. Calgary. Calgary, Alberta. And what does she do there? Hopefully, it's not work in a restaurant or a nightclub. No. Okay. N- no. What What does she do? She, do you know that big wire bust, like a head in front of that new building that looks kind of like a giant urinal? No. Okay. Well, she created that. Okay. Yeah, What's she, the building? She's an artist. I don't know. It's a tall building. See, we need to know specifics of these things because <sighs> people are going to be frustrated with us. Because Calgary. it's just some random thing that you're talking about that people, only people from Calgary will know. Well. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. The bow. Oh, the bow? Is it a museum? No, it's it's a big tower block and there's a sculpture in front of it. Oh. Um, bow building, Calgary. Well, there you go. Yeah, it's kind of, it's a cool building and there's a really cool sculpture. See? Can there you, you go. See that? Oh, that is kind of cool. Yeah. I like that. It's one of my favorite buildings It's very cyber. Yeah, it is really cyber. Anyway, she is, she, she creates public art. Oh, very cool. Yep. Public art is a good thing. I love public art. Next, we have Amanda Walker and Amanda's from Kiskati or Kiskati, Alberta. I don't know which it is. It's K-I-S-C-O-T-Y, Kiskati. Kiskati. Yeah. Um, what does Amanda Walker do there? In Kiskadi, Alberta, and I, I'm sorry, Albertans, if I'm butchering another name. She makes biscotti and Kiskadi. <laughs> How did I know that was going to happen? <laughs> I love biscotti. Well, we all do. Next, we have Danielle Mello, and Danielle is from Prince George, British Columbia. Uh, I know Prince George. I've never been into Prince George. I turn left at Prince George to go to my friend Arts in Ndaco, but uh, different art. Different art, okay. Um, But what does Danielle Mello do there in Prince George, British Columbia? What does she do in Prince George? Mm -hmm. I think she works at a recovery center. Oh, really? Yeah. For recovery from? Um, Mental health and drugs. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, there you go. Are you sure of that? You look. You seem very sure of that. Oh, I don't know, but I think there's one up there, <laughs> and it's the only thing that I know that's up there. So that's why I'm saying. Well, it. there's there's also uh, lumber mills. Okay, but anyway, that's it for patrons this week. Uh, we'll get to the rest of those next week because this show is going to be like three hours long. Yeah, that would be great. A three-hour-long show. Yeah, I don't know if people would listen. I've tried to listen to really long podcasts like that, yeah. and it's just like, oh my gosh. I always you, fall asleep. I've, it's like I'm listening to an audio book. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be like I'm reading your book. Which you haven't <laughs> done yet. And that is actually, like, honestly, I'm actually feeling kind of disappointed. <laughs> don't, don't be disappointed in me. I know you're a busy guy. No, I read the first two stories. I really like them. Did you read the intro? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I'll keep reading. Okay. 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 I promise I'll I'll do a few more stories this week. <laughs> no, my reading has gone down. I've listened to audiobooks and I no. and I got your book and I'm like I should have got the audiobook, but I wanted to support him with the real book. 
Thanks to all our patrons and Donut Money donors past and present for your generosity. It helps to keep the show going. You can become a patron of Dark Poutine at patreon.com slash darkpoutine. For a one-time donation, you can send us donut money via PayPal using our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com. If you don't already subscribe to the show, it would mean a lot if you did. You can easily find Dark Poutine on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. If you haven't gotten yours yet, my book, Murder, Madness, and Mayhem, is available to order via a link on the Dark Poutine website. And speaking of darkpoutine.com, please check it out for show notes and other cool stuff. We'd appreciate it if you took the time to give Dark Poutine a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Most importantly, thank you for listening. And tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until we return... Don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Because bad apples suck. Bad apples suck.